when I looked at it that way, education became, you know, my, my calling. This gives me that purpose of changing lives and changing the world. Welcome to the Bold Moves How Did You Know podcast, a podcast for the naturally curious who want to define their own path. Here, I'm sharing bold move stories that propelled my guests from curiosity to action. And in doing so, they've defined a path that is purposeful to them. Through these stories, I hope you'll be inspired to pursue your boldest dreams. Today, my guest is Serena Sachs Mondal. She's the Global Chief Technology and Transformation Officer for Education at Microsoft. And in her role, she champions educational technology to extend the reach of educators and help students accelerate their learning process. Prior to joining Microsoft, uh, Serena was the chief information officer at two large public school districts where she enabled student-centric teaching and learning, which resulted in significant improvements in student outcomes. And before that, before pivoting to education, she led innovation teams at IBM and Walt Disney World and provided management consulting at many, many others. So I am so thrilled to introduce you today to uh, Serena. Thank you so much for joining me. Kristen, thank you for, for inviting me. And, you know, I'm just so happy that you're capturing stories for women to share. This is this is what we love to do. And now that we're in more of a virtual environment, it's inspiring to me. And I hope I can inspire others as well. Absolutely. I am so excited to, you know, share your story today. You've got so many different career experiences um, that you've had. So I'd love to start with um, your kind of realization around what fuels you to transform education through technology and kind of sharing your journey up through um, where you are today. So I'll keep it, I'll keep it net because there's a lot of different layers and, and, and twists and turns. But I, uh, I went to college and graduate school with a desire to make a difference in the world. I just have this inherent desire to help others and make a positive change, to, to do something that matters in some way. And uh, I was encouraged by my stepfather, who was at Exxon for 30 years, to, to not go into government, which I was studying to do and, and could have. He says, try private sector. And so I did an internship both at the New York City uh, New York City public sector, and then I did IBM. I was lucky to get an internship, and that was back in the 80s when it was the number one technology company in the world. I thrilled to join them, and it worked out great, and he was right. I really, really liked working uh, in technology and in the private sector. You know, fast forward, I did exactly what my stepfather predicted. I spent 25 years in private sector, and then I had my aha moment. Uh, I was consulting after the economic downturn, and one of my engagements was with Florida Virtual School. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can use my powers for good. I can leverage my knowledge of technology as well, as well as organizational leadership and help transform education. And when I already worked in about eight different industries and I looked at education and my kids were in school at, those, at that time, and I saw Greenfield. Education was the last industry to transform from a technology standpoint, and so much in need of it. So most education is even still done in the factory model that was established 
over 100 years ago when they wanted to produce widgets, they wanted to produce factory workers. Well, now we understand we should be unleashing and discovering all the talents and gifts of every student. Every student is unique. And if you have kids, you know, even each of your kids is unique with their gifts and talents. And, and education should light up those gifts and talents, encourage lifelong learning, and help them make each of them workforce ready but whatever their dreams are to help them fulfill their potential. And, and so we definitely need to you know, provide skills and experiences that are gonna help kids become workforce ready, but we wanna do it in a way that is supportive of that student's vision, dreams, hopes, you know, and talents. And, and so that, that's what propels me is you know, not, not just helping my own kids, which thank goodness are doing incredibly well, but the whole workforce, the whole world pivots on education. With GDP goes education. With individual prosperity and richness and fullness of life goes educate is education drives that. So both on an individual standpoint and on a whole uh, 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 economic system is driven by education. When I looked at it that way, education became you know my my calling, my purpose. Wow, that is really inspiring. And I, I learned so many things in what you said. So I've got a couple of questions spinning off from that. First, you said you tried eight different industries. That's a lot of industries before you got to education. So what, if you were to pinpoint it, what was it that like education sparked for you that these other industries, you know, just didn't have that same impact? Yeah, you know, it, it, it is important to, to feel you know, move to have a purpose and feel driven. Uh, my first 10 years were in the financial securities industry in New York. I supported money center banks and security organizations. I helped build the branch of the future at Chase Manhattan Bank with new technologies. And at the time, I'm like, wow, I'm at the center of the universe. This is amazing. But, you know, finance is absolutely important to our economy. But But I also don't think that it is maybe helping as much as education on a personal level. You know, yes, it helps people run their businesses and it helps start up new businesses. And I have a lot of respect for the industry, but it didn't give me that intrinsic value. And from there, I was at Disney, which is, you know, the happiest place on earth. And, you know, I really, you know, bought into the vacation, you know, how that, how important that brings families together, but still, it's a moment in time. And I, and it almost crushes me that people work for years and years and years to save up enough money to take their kids to Disney and then spend it all. And I'm like, oh, you know, I think it's a great experience. And, and they do have a great, great guest experience. And I know people are so many people are, you know, Disney files and, 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 and thrilled with what Disney does. I'm not I'm not knocking it, but it just didn't light up like education did for me. Uh, I was in publishing and media, and uh, and then when I was in consulting, I supported uh, nonprofit, uh, so blood banks, critically important, um, clerk of courts, public sector, also important. These are all important facets of our society, and and I'm and I'm not knocking any of them, but when when I looked at education and how you change a student's life, so first at, at Florida Virtual, there were students that couldn't thrive in a brick and mortar setting in a classroom. And in fact, I was just speaking with somebody yesterday who, and, and she's in college and uh, 
and and she's taking some online courses and some in-person courses. Mm-hmm. And I said, which do you prefer? And she said, well, honestly, because she has some you know anxiety and neurodiversity, she said, it's actually easier for me to take these courses online. I don't have to worry about, am I going to be late? Am I going to be the weird kid that walks in a minute after the lecture starts? Am I going to have my allergies and people are going to think I'm unhealthy or I'm, you know, ick, you know, like, you know, sitting with everybody and wondering what they're thinking when, if they look at me, like, so some people are so overcome with the anxiety of just sitting in a classroom with others that they're going to learn better when they can learn from a comfortable environment and actually listen to the recording of the lecture over and over use the tools that are uh, in in the technology over and over so that they can learn at their own pace. So it's just, uh, you you know, there isn't anything wrong with any other industry. It's just that this gives me that purpose of changing lives and changing the world. I love that. Yeah, it really is so personal, right, about what fuels you. You have to pay attention to your inner experience as you're going through these different experiences to to kind of check into what matters to you. I think that's such a great point. Um, So the theme of this podcast is about bold moves. And I know you've made a lot of those in your life um, to get to where you are today. So I was hoping you could share some of them and, you know, give um, the listeners an opportunity to hear about how you approach these bold moves and then what um, outcomes or opportunities they unfolded for you. Because I I suppose I have a little bit of a hypothesis that when you start taking bold moves frequently, the new opportunities, the better opportunities continue to come. Yes, and the grass isn't always greener. So I'm not saying you have to leave your current company to have a bold move. Sometimes, and you don't even need to go up into people management to have a bold move. So you can lead from within, lead from below, And you can expand your growth opportunities and your impact even within a current organization. So I do appreciate you recognizing that I made bold moves. I did feel like I had to summon my courage to do a lot of the moves. So, you know, leaving Walt Disney World, leaving IBM, like leaving these big name companies and and going out into what's next. So, yes, those, those were courageous moves and bold, as you say. But I think the boldest move was, you know, as you point out, pivoting to education. And that just came with this huge aha, this huge purpose-filled, you know, adrenaline. But the next thing I did after Florida Virtual was go to Fulton County Schools. I could see some changes at Florida Virtual coming. I was savvy enough at that point that I could see, uh, you know, there's some things here that I'm not going to agree with. And, you, you know, you have to be... Uh, you know, morally and emotionally aligned with the leadership and, and the direction of an organization. And if you're not, that is a, that is an indicator that it may be time to look around. So, you know, like I said, you can you can make bold moves within an organization, but sometimes, you know, it's the right time to actually look outside. I wanted to take all the learnings that I had from Florida Virtual and create a model for success, for personalization of learning at a brick and mortar public school that would be scalable for the country and then the world. And I somehow did that. <laughs> so I talked to people and a lot of it is networking. You know, I, I knew people in, in, in the space and I said, who's doing the most to transform education with technology? And it turned out it was Fulton County Schools, which was north and south of Atlanta. I was living in Orlando and my kids were in high school. 
So, and, and I was one year out of a divorce to talk about, I mean, this was stressful. I, I had to go to a city alone, find a place to live, start in a new job, start in an industry. I've never been in a brick and mortar public school district. You know, it almost felt where I was in Orlando with people I knew and kind of a mixed quasi public uh, private environment. Um, so I was going to a school district, one of the best and boldest in the country. And my kids were still in high school and I made the decision to keep my house in Orlando and get a small place in Atlanta and commute back and forth so that I could do both. And I knew I would have to give my all to both, to both my children and my job. And the first year was really, really hard. I mean, you know, it was just like emotional, like how am I gonna handle this financially? And it was not a huge high paying job, but it was purposeful. And I, and I just felt like this is what I need to do. And these are wonderful people. I loved the interview. I loved who I was working with and for. And uh, I, I learned and learned and learned about the district and what needed to be done. And I, and I helped from a technology sense lead this transformation of a district. And I have never been sorry. So what this led to was, you know, a dozen different awards on a, a, a state, national, international level because of the tremendous impact that we, the team, that we had, and I was just honored to, you know, to be called the chief information officer of that group. And, and I still work with a lot of the folks that were that were there. I still am in touch with the Fulton County folks. And ironically, a lot of us are at Microsoft now. It's a really good lesson about the power of clarity of vision. I mean, you, you said it earlier, I'm not gonna capture it, right? But you said, I wanna go and you know, into a school, implement the technology and scale it to the nation and then the world. What, I mean. And that's what I'm doing. I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could say my vision, you know, that concisely and clearly. And I think that's such an important takeaway for people who um, want to achieve great things. You need to have that North Star. Would you agree? Yes, and I will not be able to quote this directly, but it does come from Marion Williamson that most of us don't have big enough dreams. It's not that we, we, it's not that our dreams aren't possible. It's that we don't even dream big enough. And I, I feel that my purpose, and I think purpose in general is more powerful when it's not about you, when it's about how you are contributing and helping others. So it's, especially for women, it's much easier for us to say not, I want power, but more, I want to transform lives. I want to transform education. I want to help this industry. I want to make a difference in the world. And we're just, we're the, we're the tool. We're the best, we're the, we're the vehicle that is being used to, to, and we grab that power from the vision. And so, you know, I had that vision of developing a model for personalization of learning, which I did at and then I pivoted to Microsoft first at a countrywide level and had the privilege of working with K-12 and higher ed across the country and lighting up our you know, leaders in those organizations and now at the global level. And it's, it, it, it is so amazing, but I'm also, and I've mentioned you, I'm writing this book on, on helping others do this and, and capture that, that power. And it really comes from first framing your story, right? So we all have challenges, we all have obstacles to overcome. 
And too many people and too many times we think of ourselves as, oh, this was done to me. Oh, you know, if only. And, and the fact is we can reframe that story to make ourselves the hero of it, the, uh, the protagonist, not the victim. So if we ever feel like we're being in the victim mode, then, then, then think again. But I'm not saying to ignore your feelings or your hurts or your pains. Absolutely. And I used to do that. Like, I'm the worst. I was, I survived my childhood by not having emotions and feelings. But that didn't serve me well as an adult in adult relationships, right? So you want to reframe it. You want to process those pains and turn them into energy and fuel to move forward. Mm. Yeah, it's it's exactly right. Um I loved what you had to say about that and all of this passion that you have and and all of the the things that you've learned over time now you're 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 putting all of that into this book to help even more people which is amazing. Um have you started the writing process? I'm just curious to know. Oh yeah, if, so uh, the, if the book's underway. <laughs> the manuscripts with the publisher. I am finalizing the images and the citations and uh, I'm hoping to have it published uh, by the, around the end of summer. So maybe September, um, August, September, October timeframe. And it, it, it's just uh, to me, you know, so my next vision is I, I, I want to light up, you know, women, not just women though, because men get inspired by this, but I want to really make a difference for people this is the book I wish I had when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s, going through, you know, what do I do in my 20s? And then 30s, having children and a career in the 40s, you know, going, going through a divorce and finding my true purpose and pivoting and making these bold moves like you're capturing. So there was there is no guidebook for all of that. And I wish somebody had reached down to me and said, it's going to be OK. Follow your purpose. Persevere. Be resilient in the face of challenges and you will find triumph. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, you know, you me you mentioned the the balance of the emotional and then, you know, that of everything that you have to deal with just because of life in general. Right. And um, sometimes opportunities like yours took you to a different city from your family that presents its own set of challenges. So how do you. How was it a process of compartmentalizing? How did you learn to be able to kind of balance the emotional and, you know, getting the job done? Yeah. And, and so that's exactly it. I actually think men are better at compartmentalizing in general than women. But it's a skill that I I have inherently, but it can be nurtured. It can be learned. And, and so having that, OK, when I was one of those folks that I was really good when my kids were at school and I was at work. I just knew they were okay and I would get a call if they weren't. So I focused and I, I try to be here now. I try to focus on what's right in front of me. And when my kids are right in front of me, I focus on them. And when work's right in front of me, that, you know, so the multitasking, trying to do both, like, oh my God, am I being a good mother? Oh my God, am I being like that? That noise, that worry is, is not helping either, right? So you want to quiet that noise and focus on what's in front of you. Focus on the person in front of you. Focus on the job in front of you. And let me just say, every day is not easy, even for me now. I am, you know, I, I am, you know, my own worst critic. I am like, oh my God, I screwed that up. Like, I, I mean, but what I try to do in every job and every role, because you don't have, every boss isn't good. Every day isn't good. Every job is, 
But focus every day, remind yourself, what am I contributing? How am I adding value? How am I using what I already know to make this organization or my coworkers or my team better? And what am I learning? And when you put it and you phrase it that way, what am I learning? It doesn't matter whether it's a good boss or a bad boss. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or bad day. You can learn more from tough situations than when it's all easy street. Yeah, the the phrase that came to mind for me before was everything, instead of being the victim, everything happens for me. So if it's not everything happened, it's happening to me, it's happening for me, right? Which then helps you in that mental reframe to deal with some negative situations until you can uh, maybe, you know, move on from that. Um, my second to last question, Serena, is about authenticity. Um, you seem to have been able to check in with your authentic self through um, your career. But I wanted to ask you, because I think that um, societal and parental expectations play a lot into how people navigate the world. And I'm only learning just now more about paying attention to that inner voice. You know, I've, I've always been driven to buy it, but there's so many other voices out there contributing to this picture. I'd just be interested to know how you've been able to, you know, be authentic uh, throughout your journey, or if you've had challenges with um, other types of uh, expectations. So I will just say that it's a huge compliment to me when people in any area of an organization come to me and say, oh my gosh, you're so approachable. You're so easy to talk to. You're so authentic. Like to me, that's, that's a great compliment. And I've had vendors tell me that suppliers, when I was a CIO and usually the CIO is like all, you know, tough to talk to. And, you know, with people, no matter what their role in the organization, you know, I made myself accessible. I try to find a connection with each person I talk to something that we both like, something that we have in common, some place that maybe we both were and want to talk about. So I always try to find that personal connection and, and, and remember we're people, okay? Yes, we all have jobs to do and they're important jobs, but we are people. Let's connect on a human level and then we can do the work. So authenticity is, is critically important part of leadership. And, you know, there are bosses that dictate that there was somebody that preceded me in a role and the team told me, oh, no, we couldn't do anything unless we were explicitly told to do it. To me, that's a huge vulnerability. That's a huge red flag because there's no way that one person knows everything the best and knows how to orchestrate every single person to the best of you know, the organization's capacity. Everybody has a gift. They have a brain. If we wanted, you know, robots, we would have, you know, just programmed it in. But we want people to think for themselves and innovate and create. So, you know, you 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 want to unleash the power of everyone, but that requires you to know them, know their strengths, and put the right people in the right seats on the bus, if you will, to to achieve the overall purpose. And so it's so much healthier to have an authentic disposition where people are welcome to come in and tell you what's really happening versus telling you what they think you want to know. That's a very unhealthy organization. If your folks are 
yes people just saying whatever you want to hear or just agreeing with you i actively encourage people to disagree tell me what's wrong with this thinking so that we get the best solutions together and we unleash everybody's individual potential so authenticity isn't just a a style it's a way of leading and it can be learned it can be it can be adopted if you don't feel like you're being uh, authentic enough and i will also say that authenticity comes with confidence so when you have the confidence that you know you have value because i've practiced every single day of every single job of adding value i know i have value do i know everything absolutely not and i'm confident i'm confident that i surround myself with people smarter than me and i lean on them and i empower them to be their best and that confidence helps me be authentic and trust that i am not the smartest person in the room and it's okay amazing all right my final question what do you know today about being bold that you wish you had known earlier on <laughs> oh well like i said i wish somebody had reached down when i was in my 20s and 30s and just said it's going to be okay it's going to be okay uh I guess I may be wish I had more mentorship from people that were already there that had that were role models for me. So I, I wish I'd had that guidance from others. Part of the problem was that you know women in technology uh, were there just weren't that many role models. And and the other thing is that women back in the day. Uh, were not as open to helping others because if they were the token, they didn't necessarily want to highlight somebody else. I don't think that that exists as much today, and I'm committed to putting the ladder down and helping everybody up with me. I believe in. I believe that everybody can rise together. That it isn't a zero sum game. So you know, I want to help others so that we can all be better together. What a great point to leave on. Thank you so much, Serena. If people wanted to connect with you or learn more, is there a place that they could go on the internet to find you? So the best place for me is LinkedIn. Uh, so it's Serena Sachs Mandel. Uh, I, I accept just about all connections and uh, interface with people on that. And if they wanna talk to me directly, I'm open to that. Uh, and I will send you an email with a link to book on my calendar. So look forward to talking with lots of people and I will be promoting my book, both on LinkedIn and on Facebook. I think Instagram too, my publisher will probably do that. So I appreciate so much the opportunity to talk with you, Kristen. And this has just been a fabulous conversation. Thank you. Thank yes, thank you. And when your book does launch, I'm gonna put it on my Bold Moves book list. So be sure to circle back with me so I can link it uh, for everyone to, to go buy it as well. Thank you again, Serena. It's been so great to have you. And I appreciate everyone else tuning in. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time. One last thing before I leave you today, don't forget to sign up for the Bold Moves Podcast Club. I'm so excited about this podcast club. We are going to deep dive into the different topics that my guests talk about every month. It's like a book club, but for my podcast. And the idea is that each month, you're going to receive an email to dive deeper into these topics and themes that my podcast guests explored about being bold over the month. 
That's because nobody said being bold was easy, and we all need a little support and encouragement and also understand what are some of these uh, practices that you can put in place in your own life. How can you think differently about being bold? Because to get to who you want to become may require some changes in what you do to get there. So I'm helping you through this Bold Moves Podcast Club to empower you to take bold action on your dreams. It's free to join, so just go over to my website, kristenrocco.com slash bold-moves-resources, or even easier, open up the show notes right now, click the link, and sign up. It's that simple. Ah!